All right, welcome into take two of the 573 report. Uh, after, you know, a couple issues here and there, we think we've got a, got everything figured out. Mitchell Forty is on one side of your screen. I'm Gabe DeArmond. I should be on the other side of your screen, hopefully. Uh, see a few of you here understand with the, the time change, the schedule change, and, you know, let's be honest, maybe a couple other things going on in everybody's life right now. Um, we might have... Uh, might have a little reduced viewership, but hopefully you guys are here. Hit the like button, uh, comments, questions, all that throughout the show for us, and, and we'll hang around here for, you know, we, we generally go a little over an hour. If it takes longer than that, great. If it's not quite that long, that's okay, too. Um, we'll let you guys get back to, to whatever you're doing. Mitch, what's up, man? How much? Hopefully you and everyone else can hear me tonight. So yeah, that would, that's I, the goal. I can hear you. I could actually hear you really loud there for a second. So uh, I think I fixed that. Um, okay. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, you know, what would this show be without a minor audio issue at the beginning on my end? Uh, this is the 573 Report. We're brought to you by 573Ts. You can go online, 573Ts.com. They are an online-only outfit. Go through the link in the story uh, on our website at Power Mizzou, and you can get a 10% discount off your first purchase. They got a lot of good stuff. Uh, they hooked me up with some some stuff last week. Actually, um, my favorite shirt that they gave me has already been appropriated by my wife, so uh, that's how you know it's good. Um, when when the stuff gets stolen by your significant other, they, they give you good stuff. So um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time relitigating uh, a game and a fight that was five days ago. Um, at this point, we will talk uh, a little bit and take your questions about Florida and all that. Um, and, and really anything else you guys want to talk about. The SEC basketball schedule is supposedly coming out tomorrow. Uh, there's a bye week. There's some injuries. There's Georgia coming up next week. All that. Um, but we will start just briefly because we had a chance to talk to Eli Drinkwitz today. I asked him, didn't really anticipate much of a response and didn't get much of a response, but asked him kind of his impressions after having a chance to look at the fight and and the SEC reaction to that. So, uh, Mitch, disappointed neither one of us managed to wear a Darth Vader costume uh, for this show, but just kind of your impressions of, of the fallout and, and, you know, now Missouri obviously being without players. Well, we missed our chance on the Darth Vader costume. We clearly should have been wearing that for that live stream of the watch-along of the game on Saturday on Halloween. Uh, clearly, we were just behind the times there. Um, yeah, it was interesting. You know, you asked Drinkwitz about the fight, and he gave the very, you know, cliche coach answer. You know, well, we put out a statement the other day, so you can refer to that. It was a very revealing statement, it. too. But then he actually took a little jab at Mullen much later on in the press conference, kind of for no, really no reason. He wasn't asked about the fight at all. He was asked, I think, uh, like what he's learned about himself in the past year. And he said, well, I've learned I can uh, keep my calm in certain situations. And like just to be sure we knew he was talking about Florida, he went ahead and said, but also I can go ahead and like get my emotions involved if I'm upset if we don't get it on fourth and one. So, <laughs> and they don't uh, call was, off sides. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they don't call off sides. So that was um, – you know, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the game, you know, we talked about it a little bit last night and uh, it, it's, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a great performance. I mean, Missouri was never, you know, they were the less talented team coming in. Their chances of winning was largely based off of Florida, not playing well, coming off of, you know, having no practice for two weeks and having some guys out and Missouri playing really well and kind of the opposite of those two things happened. Um, and so, yeah, here we are. Yeah, and uh, look, the, you know, I, I don't really have much time for really caring about how much Dan million Dan Mullen got fined. He makes six point one million dollars a year. They were not going to fine him an amount that made a difference to him. Uh, now, I, I thought twenty five thousand dollars was a little light, but I don't really care that much, and I I don't really see why Missouri fans care. The more important issue. Uh, for Missouri is suspensions, and they've got three guys suspended for the first half of the uh, of the Georgia game. Chad Bailey is is not a guy that's probably going to make a, a major impact. Obviously, uh, defensively, uh, Markel Utzi. I, I mean, I guess he got his money's worth, man. Like, <laughs> like that's that's really when you look at it only like three minutes of game action per punch so that's not that bad but he was the only scholarship defensive tackle that suited up against LSU Drinkwood said today 
they don't expect Kobe Whiteside back for Georgia. So, I, I mean, fortunately, Georgia doesn't have good running backs and doesn't like to run the ball. So I don't think the middle of the defensive line will be a big issue. Uh, but Markel Lutze being out for the first half of that game is it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of unlike like it on one hand, you're right. Mark Elitzi did get his money's worth, and and yeah. like at you know a brawl like that, you only have three players suspended for half. I guess four if you count Trey Williams. Not terrible. It could have been worse, I think. But uh, yeah, two of the players come at really bad positions. Uh, Mark Elitzi was playing nose tackle because Kobe Whiteside has been out, and now I I don't know who you turn to there. I mean, maybe Darius Robinson comes back and right. can play there. Maybe you can slide Akil Byers over, but you're really thin there. And then Dylan Spencer was starting in place of Xavier Delgado at left guard. But Eli Driggis told us today, Xavier Delgado uh, underwent a tightrope procedure. It's a surgical procedure for a sprained ankle today. And he is not going to be available against Georgia. So you're looking at basically Drinkwood said it's going to be an open competition who plays left guard against maybe the best defensive line in the country. Yeah, and I don't really know. uh, Drinkwitz was asked, do you have some guys you're looking at there? And I mean, obviously, yes, he has guys. And he said, yeah, we have guys. I I don't know who. I I mean... I, you know, uh, Javon Foster is playing for Larry Borum, and and I believe that Drinkwood said Borum's not going to be back for Georgia, right? Correct. So you've got Case Cook at one guard. I I mean, the other guard, I don't know, is I, I guess Drake Heismeyer gets thrown out there. Maybe. I, I, yeah, mean, I don't so, know how much I mean, he's Mike Ruth there. is Mike, Ruth, Mike yeah. Ruth is listed there on the depth right. chart, but they actually suited him up at tight end, I believe, last game because they were worried about not having an extra blocking tight end. So, I, I mean, that can't bode great for his team. Now, maybe it comes down. I, I, I would assume it's him, Jerry Kaismeyer, or Jack Buford. That's pretty much all they have left yeah. uh, to, to play guard. So, yeah, I mean, either way, you're talking about a guy who basically has never played a meaningful snap. Right. Either a true freshman, a guy who at one point wasn't going to play this season or a guy who really hasn't played but I I guess there's two ways to look at it one again I it couldn't really come against a worse team or the other way is I don't know you're probably getting beat it I mean it's not like it's not like Xavier Delgado is the difference between beating Georgia and not beating Georgia so hey you take your lumps you hope to keep everybody healthy and then I guess you move on to to the four games that matter and I want to go ahead and start adding some questions and comments here and and encourage you guys to to go ahead and you know whatever's on your mind this is a bye week it's it's kind of weird it's a slow time obviously so whatever's on your mind we'll definitely talk about and so we'll jump around a little bit to to different subjects but Jake wants to know, uh, looks like Mizzou and Illinois are still trying to play the bragging rights game. And, and do you think that's going to happen? Um, and I don't know, is there, I I mean, I, I haven't seen any information that they're not going to play it, but I also haven't seen any confirmation that they are going to play it. So I don't know, Mitch, is there some sort of new information here that I'm, you know, is somebody written or, or tweeted about this game that I haven't seen? Um, not that I know of. I mean, I know, I, I, I believe team, the two schools have still been talking about it from what I understand. Like, it's not like, it's just, you know, I think both schools would like it to happen. Let me put it that way. Like, you know, the Mizzou, Kansas thing, as soon as it was apparent that that wasn't going to be full capacity, I think Kansas was like, well, no, we don't want that to be one of our home games, which are, you know, the game that counts for our home game at the sprint center, which I know Missouri fans aren't going to like that, but like, that makes sense it's to me. Smart. Um, yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I, it seems like the two teams, like I said, they have, since they haven't canceled it, it seems like they would like to make it happen. But I think just logistically, you know, it depends where else everything falls, you know, priority wise. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I still feel like it's kind of 50, 50 at this point, maybe 60, 40 to not happening just because nothing else is happening in the non-conference scheduling. It's kind of a mess. Right. There's a lot of things. What is the non-conference game situation? What is the Big Ten situation? What's the SEC situation? What's St. Louis's situation? Does it make sense to play that game in St. Louis in front of a 20% capacity crowd? Um, because everybody has to travel to it. Um, you know, it, 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 as I'm talking about both teams, administrators, you got to staff the game, officials, all that. Uh, you know, so there's a lot that goes into that. And at some point, kind of like Kansas decided in Kansas City, maybe the juice isn't worth the squeeze as far as what that is. You do that game to, in large part to make money. And if it's actually going to cost you money, I'm not sure that's something you do. 
Yeah, I, I actually do think I should have said this earlier. It, I think kind of think if it, and this is just my hunch. I haven't been told this, but if it's going to be played, I would not be surprised if it has to be at one of the two campus sites, which would be but, fun. But, but uh, then you have to yeah. move next year's. Right. And, and then you get into a future matchup. I don't know what. Yeah. One of the future years. Th yeah. Then you get into which school is going to volunteer to do it this year when nobody can go right. in exchange. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you work out something where, OK, look, we'll host this year in front of 18 percent crowd or whatever. And you can host in three years in front of a full crowd. But we get enough money to make ourselves whole out of that. But again. Then you're putting yourself in a situation where, hey, maybe your team three years down the road is like a bubble team and going on the road and making it harder. These are all things that come into it. And and I don't know, sure. but but that's kind of a good jumping off place uh, as far as I think it was John Rothstein tweeted earlier today that the SEC is expected to announce its conference schedule tomorrow. And I mean plenty of time we're 18 days from the start of the season so i you know why does anybody need any more warning than that um i i don't really have any idea what to expect i mean i thought at one point when they were talking about potentially no non-conference games i thought it actually would would be pretty cool for the sec to go okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna have a 13 week schedule and everybody's gonna play a round robin so like missouri and arkansas are gonna play back-to-back -back games in Columbia on Friday and Saturday. And then the next Friday and Saturday, Missouri and Tennessee are going to play back-to-back -back games in Knoxville or something. You just play two games every week against the same opponent and, and all that. I mean, I don't think that's – it's sounding like they're trying to get in more conference games or more non-conference games, which means we're not going to see 26 conference games. Um, but I wouldn't have hated a conference-only basketball schedule. I, I think you could have made it work. Yeah, or even just yeah, the the uh, playing every team twice deal. Like even if you have a few non-conference games, would have been kind of fun. Um, I mean, my guess is because we haven't heard differently, it's still going to be an 18-game conference schedule. That is, I, I mean, I I feel like we would have heard if it, they were gonna, you know, if that was on the table was was you know making it a, a larger larger uh, conference schedule so that's my guess is it'll be relatively normal and i think I, I do think i remember vaguely i get mixed up with the basketball and football scheduling talk but I, I feel like i heard somewhere you know someone say the sec had had kind of come up with a plan for basketball to start i think conference games are starting sooner than in the past so that each team has like a couple more off weeks or, or a couple more games with only weeks with one game on the schedule so that they have a little more flexibility sort of like the sec has done with football this season where uh, you know they have by built in during the season and at the end of the season, which obviously seems smart. So yeah. I mean, yeah, the Big uh, Ten is proving you do not need bye weeks. <laughs> bye weeks overrated. Yeah, that's Big Ten's just trying to get like a four and O team in the playoff. Hundred percent. It's going to be amazing when Ohio State is in the playoffs with wins over Penn State, Rutgers, Illinois, and Nebraska. Um, <laughs> it's going to be phenomenal. But so. But here's the problem with basketball, right? And, and we've got a couple more questions coming in, and, and I promise, guys, we're going to get to them. Um, but, uh, you know, keep them coming in, and, and we'll catch up with you. Uh, we definitely see them all. Mitchell Bennett, Matt Anderson, appreciate the questions, and we'll get there. But so here's the issue with basketball. There is a lot of travel involved with basketball, and that's always been one of the problems. I mean, you are flying out on, you know, Tuesday to spend the night somewhere, play a game Wednesday, flying back Wednesday night, flying back out Friday. There have been situations in basketball where teams don't come back home because it doesn't make sense because there's so much travel. So do you think – I mean, certainly the schedule is going to be, I think, put together to minimize travel. But do you think we're going to get an 18-game schedule with like nine home games and nine road games in traditional sites? Or are we going to see something where it's like – hey, okay, you're going to play Tennessee Tuesday night, and then you're going to hit Vanderbilt on Wednesday night, and then you can come back home, or are we going to see, you know, n not necessarily neutral site locations, but maybe even like four-team little pods somewhere where like Texas A&M, Arkansas, Missouri, and Vandy are all in Columbia, and Texas A&M plays Missouri on Friday night, and Arkansas plays Vandy, and then the, other, the next day you switch it up. I, I don't know how it's going to work. 
Yeah, I mean, that would make sense to me. Um, but I just feel like we would have heard about it by now, like uh, on the eve of the schedule, since that hasn't been brought to our attention. Like, I would be surprised if all of a sudden that got dropped on us. Like, yeah, so they're switching up, you know, yeah, how they do the schedule where you, you play games in clumps with more times in between or something like that. Like, but I, I understand your point. That would make a lot of sense. And I, I don't know that, like, I mean, Maybe just for simplicity's sake and because everyone's been so preoccupied with football, let's face it, it's the SEC, they, they go to a normal schedule and just build in a couple extra, you know, half weeks off for teams. But, like, I do think that is kind of setting yourself up to fail because, you know, first of all, if you have two, you know, three basketball players, you know, out, like, that, that you're starting to get problematic. You're starting to get in that, you know a third of the team, a fifth of the team, something like that. And if you're out for two weeks, that can be four games. So, you know, you are, you're already, you're losing, you're using up the, uh, those, those weeks you build in so fast. And, and I just can't see a scenario where, look, we've had six months to think about this and try to figure it out. And obviously we've struggled to do so. And it's November 7th before the schedule's coming out. And then we just come out with kind of a normal schedule. I, I can't, I mean, that to me would be like, well, what the, hell have you been doing for the last six months if you're just gonna have a normal schedule just stick with it in june i i just can't see a situation where it comes out and we just look at it and go okay yeah arkansas on tuesday and then south carolina on saturday and then hit the road for a and i I don't know maybe i'm wrong um and 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 i'm guessing here because i really i'm kind of like you were talking about mitch i've been so preoccupied with football and is football gonna happen and making all this happen and everything like that that I haven't really asked a ton of people about what's going to happen with the basketball schedule. So, you know, partly, certainly that's on me, but I I just haven't heard anything and and I'm interested to see. So, like I said, we've got a few more basketball questions and we're going to get to those, but we're jumping around a little bit. I'm trying to hit you guys in the order that, that you've gotten on here and all that. And uh, Mitchell Bennett asks, I feel the teams that drop passes don't fix the drops. What are your thoughts on that observation I mean, I, I, I'll let you hit this one first because I have some thoughts on it too. Yeah, well, first of all, I actually asked Eli Drinkwitz about the drops in his press conference today, just kind of about the fact that you kind of tend to see them in bunches. And he said that's indicative of a lack of focus, which you know I think is the commonly accepted issue when, when it comes to dropping the ball because everyone who's gotten to this level pretty much shows that they can catch. Um, but yeah, so you know, he says, you know, you, you maybe they, they came out flat or unfocused. They're on the road for two of these games where they've had drop issues. And, and after you have one, then you start, you know, overthinking it basically. And that, you know, impacts, I think you said impacts your psyche. Um, so that's, that's a common issue. And I do think there's a case to be made like, uh, like Mitchell brings up, uh, you know, the more a team starts to drop the ball, the more than, you know, they're thinking about it. if they know they're getting, you know, pulled off the field or something like that, they're, they're probably, you know, overthinking or second guessing themselves. So it's kind of a fine line, I think, between you, you definitely you don't want to play a player who struggled with drops like you want to emphasize the importance. But actually, drink what's said in his press conference today. We maybe need to do a little bit better job of letting guys get established at the wide receiver position and not subbing quite as often. Yeah, drops are definitely uh, they're contagious. They're like when, you know, when when you played baseball and you made an error like, I don't know about you. I immediately started thinking, oh, God, please don't hit me the ball again. Yeah. And then it, they did, and then you'd make another one. And it just it just kind of piled up. Drops are the same way. And I kind of go back and forth. Like, you can't – I don't know if you can teach a guy to have better hands, right? But by the same token, like you said, everybody that's here made enough plays that they are capable of catching the football. You know, I don't feel like it's – like with a quarterback, I've always thought you can't really teach accuracy. You're either you either throw the ball where you're trying to throw the ball or you don't. And and I don't know through repetition if you can manage to improve that. But drops, I mean, you just you do it over and over and over and over. And I don't know if fixable is the right thing, but they need to make sure, like you said, they don't come in bunches. Um and I, I think we've hit the point where yeah, you want to put guys out there, but also, I, I mean, that and not to pick on one guy, but in that Florida game, I mean, Damon Hazelton really hurt them early. Um, it, it took the offense completely out of rhythm, cost them a couple first downs, and you know, Drinkwitz was asked about Hazelton today, and he really just kind of danced around and said, "I don't want to single out one guy. Everybody was was bad, you know. Dame Dame's got five games left, and we all want to get better." 
which is a really nice way of saying, yeah, it's a problem and, and we're looking at it. Yeah, first of all, you're absolutely right. I mean, the Hazelton drops killed. I mean, that that was big. First play of the game, you know, that kind of sets a bad tone. Um, but yeah, and and that's why he didn't play. I think hardly at all in the second half. That's why Towski Dove ended up logging 40 snaps. Was he was playing the vast majority of those snaps in the second half. Uh, and and I think it's it's kind of no secret at this point that you know maybe the the, the Damon Hazelton, uh, you know, I don't want to say experiment, but the, his his one year hasn't maybe gone as smoothly as as everyone would have hoped. I mean, he hardly practiced at all during camp. They never actually announced that he had earned a number. He just kind of showed up and got one on the first game, which I was hoping. I was hoping with the guys who hadn't earned a number would just be numberless in the first game. I feel game, like but you I think have that's to have a number, right? You do. Yeah, okay. you do. Um, and then, you know, he, uh, he, uh, he, he got listed a third string on the depth chart. That acted shocked when I asked him about it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I, there's clearly been a little bit of, of, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to overcharacterize because we don't know, but it, it's not all been, you know, sunshine and rainbows with, with him so far. Yeah. Um, and, and really with, with Kiki Chisholm too. And look, people made, people noticed it when he said after the first game, I can't throw the ball to myself and they can downplay it all they want. I think that was a big deal. I, I and we haven't really seen him heavily targeted. I mean, I, I think there was something to that. Uh, but, you know, people are throwing Hazleton in with Jalen Knox. And, look, Jalen Knox is, yes, he dropped a pass last week. And it was a it was a painful one. And he has dropped a few passes this year. But he is offsetting some of that by making – he's the only guy out there making big plays, right, um, consistently. I mean, so I think a guy who it, – it's kind of like, yeah, the guy who goes for 40 every night and he doesn't go for 40 every night, but the guy who's capable of going for 40, you can live with it if he has eight turnovers one night um, because you know he might get you 40 the next night. I mean, Jalen Knox, is he had a 32-yard run against Florida that was really Missouri's only good offensive play. He made plays against LSU. He made plays against Kentucky. There's a little more uh, – there's a little longer leash for him than there is for some of these other guys, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like he's he's just he's earned a little bit more trust. He uh, actually, you mentioned that thirty-two yard run. That was I think was his only play over twenty yards. And he's been you know yeah he's been he's been able to make big plays. He's been reliable. He was you know the guy they turned to every time almost on fourth down against Kentucky. Uh, I will say like Hazelton has done a good job of getting open because, you know, uh, and that is certainly part of the job as a receiver. Like, you know, it's maybe not a coincidence that we looked at the snap counts on Monday or Sunday morning and said, wow, Tusky Dove played 40 snaps. I didn't notice him. Like, right. I mean, you know, clearly he maybe doesn't do as good of a job of getting open, but at a certain point that doesn't matter if you can't catch the ball. So it, it is a little bit of a balancing act there. And, and the last thing, and, and we're going to get to Jackson's question, which is kind of related to what we've been talking about here in a minute, but, uh, the other thing is, I mean, who are we arguing has to play more, right? Yeah, Towski Dove played more. I can see more snaps for Barrett Bannister. He generally catches the ball, but he doesn't exactly play Hazleton's position. To do that, you've got to move Knox outside and put Bannister in the slot. I can see the argument for Boo Smith, who only played, I think, six snaps against Florida because he did make plays against LSU. Um, you know, but outside of that, I mean, Dominic Jacinto's got a bigger drop rate than anybody on the team. I, I'm a, I I guess it kind of tells us, look, JJ Hester and Jay Macklin clearly aren't ready in the eyes of the coaching staff, you know? So I, I guess there aren't a lot of options. And, and Jackson McNeil says, is the ACC just a weak conference as Hazleton underperformed? This certainly doesn't look like an all ACC receiver. So first of all, yes, I don't think Hazleton probably ever had a five week stretch where he went through something like, Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, Kentucky, Florida, right? The ACC doesn't have that to offer um, unless, I don't know, maybe Virginia Tech got screwed on the schedule one time and played Clemson four weeks in a row. Um, but assuming that didn't happen, uh, the ACC doesn't really have anything to offer like what he's seen. But also, look, he's in a new place with a new offense. And, I, you know, uh, there's – I always go back to, and I say this about junior college kids, I, I say this about a lot of things, but there's there are always reasons people transfer, right? I mean, great players who are great where they're at and happy where they're at and everything is going well, those guys don't leave. There's always a reason 
that players transfer. And sometimes transfers work out great. And sometimes it's like a Drew Smith situation. Hey, I just want to play at a higher level. But when a guy's transferring from a Power 5 school, and, and I'm not saying Hazleton's a bad kid. I've legitimately, I don't think I've ever spoken to him. All right, not in person. So I, I can't say he's a, a bad kid or there's anything going on behind the scenes. I don't want to imply that. Just there are always reasons, man. And, and maybe we're seeing a reason. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I certainly never watched Hazleton at Virginia Tech, no. so I don't know if he was better. Uh, his stats suggest he was. I mean, a few things. One, he came into a system where he's learning a new offense. Two, he apparently didn't pra- really practice at camp at all. And three, you know, maybe he just if he catches the balls that hit his hands this year, his stat line looks pretty different. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's has he been the guy that the Missouri staff hoped when they went out and got a grad transfer receiver? No, but. When you're relying on two grad transfer receivers, I mean, that's just your your position group's probably just, you know, not exactly where it needs to be. And that's probably why you had to have a coaching change. Yeah. I mean, the receiving position we knew was an issue. And uh, look, they're still two and three and in good shape, despite all these things we're talking about. Um, and, you know, I thought Drinkwitz made an interesting point. He said, not all these throws have been perfect. I, yes. I feel like, and look, some of them have been. Like some of them have been dropped and just perfect throws that were right in guys' hands. But I feel like we're kind of at this point where we're not allowed to say anything other than Connor Bazelak is amazing, right? And he's been good. Don't get me wrong. He's been very good. But he also was fairly average at Florida. You know, I mean, he was, wasn't terrible. And considering he didn't have much time to throw and guys were dropping passes and all that, I, I, I'm not – saying he was 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 awful or was more to blame than anybody else. But there are things he can do better as well. It's not it, it's not this, you know, they don't have Patrick Mahomes with no receivers here. I mean, he's yeah. he's got things he can do better as well. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, all sports discussions where we struggle to have nuance. Like you can be really excited about Connor Bazelak as the quarterback of Missouri while also acknowledging he's a redshirt freshman and, and got a little bit probably overwhelmed in, in Florida. I mean, you know, that's a, a an experienced defense and athletic defense. And, and Todd Grantham is a good defensive coordinator. I mean, he's had you know some issues, but he's he knows how to confuse opposing quarterbacks. And I just feel like he didn't. You know, as confident, as crisp as he had in those past two games, where he he really seemed like he knew where he wanted to go to the with the ball and was really was on time and accurate. Um, and and I think part of that also, you know, he the offensive he line was, was in tatters. I mean, he was getting he was getting roughed up. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those like I mean, you 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 go back and look at the stats. I mean, you know, no part of offense well against. Her. So certainly, you know, no one is really immune from the blame. I think that the offensive line was probably the biggest issue, but certainly Connor Bazelak could have played well. The, the coaches could have called probably better plays. I mean, it, it's, it goes all around, and that's what Drinkwood said. Yeah, it was – I mean, Missouri had to play an A game to win there, and I don't know. I think I agreed with you. You gave him like a C-. minus. That was about a C- minus performance. I think that's fair. Uh, finished strong, says the offensive line was wore out and depleted against Florida. No question. And, and look, I remember, Mitch, I, th- I think – what was your first season working for us? Was it 2018, 2017, 2018? Yeah, 2018, Drew Locke's okay. senior season. So I remember Drew Locke's freshman season, right? He he lit up South Carolina game one, looked amazing. Game two was Florida. And, I mean, it, Drew said since then, like, that woke me up. I was taking hits I'd never hit. I was seeing things I'd never seen. I was playing against athletes I'd never played against. And, Connor Bazelak might have had a little bit of that happen too. Like he's um LSU's defense didn't really do anything to bother him. Um Kentucky, I didn't either, if we're being honest. I mean, he handed the ball off 80 times and, and played really well in those two games. And again, I'm not knocking the kid. But Saturday was a little different, and he had no help. So, you know, plenty of that. Uh Got, got more questions. We're going to get to them in just a second, but I want to remind you guys this show is brought to you by 573Ts. Go to 573Ts.com. If you go through Power Mizzou, you can get 10% off of your first order. A lot of good stuff there. Uh, I, I got a good Super Bowl shirt last week. They got uh, I don't think they make Super Bowl shirts for Mitchell's team yet, but maybe, maybe down the road, maybe you can get one. Um, and uh, they, they got Columbia stuff, Royal stuff, Cardinal stuff, all, all kinds of uh, t-shirts and, and stuff that you can get from there. So please help them out, uh, help out everybody who makes uh, what we're doing this year possible. 
and uh, when you have that option. So let's jump back uh, to some of the previous questions. Matt Anderson's asking about the basketball team. And before we get into this question, it's it's really interesting to me that Missouri's had a couple definitely disappointing years. And this is not just this. I mean, we're in the middle of football season, right? And there is close to as much interest in Missouri basketball, I think, as there is in Missouri football. And the Missouri football interest is pretty high, but it just goes to, like, people who grew up when when I grew up or who went to school when I went to school. And, and Mitchell, I've got to imagine your dad would, would say the same thing when he went to Missouri. I mean, this was a basketball school. This was a basketball fan base. And so I think there's still a lot of people that are somewhere between, I don't know, let's say, like, 37, 38, you know, five years younger than me up to like your dad's age, probably early fifties, who that is still the main thing. They, they, the main sport, uh, when they look at Missouri. So I I just continue to be amazed despite what Missouri fans have been drugged through the last six years in basketball with a brief respite in 2017, uh, that, that there still is as much interest in the program as there is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, to a degree. Um, there, they don't actually go interest. to the arena, but they're still interested right. in the program. Just, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's fans who, who, who care and will still follow the team, but they're, uh, they're hurting for, for bodies in the arena, although yeah. that won't show up as much this season because of, uh, you know, the coronavirus and the, the limited crowds and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we, we always, you know, we always have interest about our, uh, our basketball threads on the message board. So Matt's asking if you had to pick, do they make or miss the NCAA tournament this year? Um, man, I, I don't know where I fall on this, um, because I, I kind of, I, I looked at last year and when, when they went into the 2019, 2020 season, I thought, okay, upside is like a, you know, I don't know, a nine seed, something like that. Downside is sub 500. Well, last year went like everything kind of went as poorly as it could have gone pretty much. I think, um, you know, just There were guys banged up. Jeremiah Tillman couldn't stay on the floor. Nobody could make shots. They still turned the ball over, all that. Um, So, I don't know. I I view the upside a little bigger this year. I think the advantage they have is this is a year where experience and guys that have played together I think is more important. I mean, that's always the way for Missouri, right? When you're not getting one and dones, you need third and fourth-year players. So, that's always going to be true of Missouri. But I think it's more true this year just with – all the crazy offseason and everything, how much practices were limited and all that, I think experience should play, and experience together should play a bigger role. That said, just talent-wise, this team isn't better than it was last year. Like, it's the same guys. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I uh, I, I don't I, I could go either way, right? So, I, on one hand, it's – it's not that hard to make, assuming the NCAA tournament is normal. Like it, you it don't means you're have a 500 to, team. Exactly. You don't have to do anything crazy. You, know, you basically, yeah. If you go, you go nine and nine in conference, you beat one or two, like, I don't know, top 15, top 20 teams, which Missouri even did that last year, getting do. Auburn at home. Yeah. Um, and, and you, you know, maybe win a game in the conference tournament. Like I, I really think like that's about all it takes, especially, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the non-conference schedule is going to end up being super hard. Cause I think most of the, you know, power five teams they would have played aren't going to be there. So you just kind of avoid messing up there. Um, and then yeah, go something around 500 in conference play. That said, I, there's still too many things I think for me that I have to see them do before I can quite say, you know, pick with confidence that they'll do it. Um, you know, I, I need to see, I need to see them not, you know, have this rough patch in non-conference play or early in conference play that basically takes them out of it. Um, and injuries have been a part of that for sure. You know, losing good players early in the season, but I need to see them make shots. Uh, you know, that's an easy thing to say. Yeah. Well, if they just make shots, well, you know, uh, right. <laughs> if that's for every team, right. if every it's team like, just in, in shots, football, if you're just games. good at offense and defense, you're going to be good. Exactly. So I, I would not be surprised by any means if they make the tournament. And I do think, like you said, that experience helps. But yeah, I don't I don't I don't think this team necessarily like went out and got a lot better in the offseason. You're banking on them staying healthy and, and players progressing, which, as we've seen over the last few years, just isn't something you can count on. 
Yeah, and I've always, like you're talking about the difficulty of making the NCAA tournament, I equate it approximately to making the Liberty Bowl. Um, like, it's nobody should apologize for it. It's good. People care about it. But it's, as a Power 5 team, it's it's not impossible, right? I mean, I think right. I think at Missouri, the goal should be three tournaments every four years. Maybe that's a little high, but I think that should be the goal. Three tournaments every four years and – and have one team in those four capable of actually doing something. Because even in 27, and, and again, it, it was injury. We get it. But even in 2017, 2018, which I think is the only time Missouri's made the tournament in like seven seasons, I mean, they were they, they were a nine seed. And they weren't. Um, now, it, it's it looks weird because Florida State did actually go on a run that year. And so Missouri fans will say, well, hey, if we'd just beaten Florida State, maybe we make that one. That wasn't a team that looked to me like it was really any any threat to do anything. So I think there's a difference between, you know, yes, goal, the goal this year is just make the tournament, especially because next year, who knows. But, but when you look at it, you say, when's the next time they have a chance to do something in the tournament? And back to what we were talking about, about the talent, there were 28 four- and five-star players brought into SEC programs this year, which, by the way, doesn't include transfers. There may have been, you know, all Eric Musselman does is take transfers, so it's probably actually higher than 28. Missouri and South Carolina are the only schools that didn't add one. So while you're banking on your team getting better because they're all back, everybody else is upgrading the talent on the roster. And that is, look, it's a concern. I mean, I, I would... We don't know the schedule, so we can't pick anything. But, like, if this was just a normal season with the schedule we expected, 32 games, I don't know. I probably would have picked them, you know, 18-14, 19-13, something like that, which puts you in that. Basically what that is, it's a Conzo Martin team. It's it's you're one of the last six teams in or one of the first six teams out. It's what he's been almost every year in his entire career until the last two, he slipped below it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I pretty much agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think I, I certainly think if you're below the bubble again this season, that's when you know alarm bells kind of really start to go off. But uh, you know, they should definitely be in that range. But maybe again, maybe they could surprise us on the high end. I don't know. It's you know, it's weird. Basketball, like all it takes is you know, like two or three games make the difference from a bubble team to like a six or seven seed. So we'll see. So David wants to know, are there any players we need to watch for the upcoming season? I mean, look, truthfully, they're the same guys. I mean, they're, they're yeah. really – there's not an impact newcomer, right? I'm not missing anybody that, that we're thinking he's new to the roster and, and is going to make a significant difference on this team. Right? Okay, well, Mitchell uh, – Mitchell – is frozen on me right now. So we're going to hang up and try to, uh, to call him back. He has disappeared on me. Um, so I, I wondered why he seemed so uninterested in what I was saying. Uh, but we're, we're going to give him a ring back and see if we can get him on the line. We'll go back to just me on the screen, um, until we manage to get that done. So let's see. If we if we manage to add Mitchell back in, that would be a uh, a big bonus, certainly. Okay, it's ringing and hey, Mitchell, answer the phone and there he is. Uh, I'm back. Yeah, what's up, good. man? Good can to you hear me now. Yeah, you're good. Good to have you back. Okay, sorry. I no, don't know what happened there. Um, well, I yeah, was in I the mean, middle of talking and you were just like staring at me, frozen on the screen, and I thought maybe what I was saying was incredibly boring, but I think your internet <laughs> just gave up. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, your question was about, does Missouri have someone on this team who, or did Missouri bring right. someone in who will make an impact? Drew Bugs, I think will play. Right. I um, forgot about him. I think yeah. he'll play 20 minutes a game, something like that. Um, maybe more. He's a guy who, you know, he just, he gives him another ball handler and he, he helps prevent Drew Smith from wearing down as he kind of did last season. Um, and then there probably are some times when they play him at the same time as Drew Smith and Xavier Pinson. But I, I mean, you, you don't bear, on him being like a double digit scorer I don't think by any means so I think it's more so you know I think Xavier Pinson you know they they really need him to be the player he was 
for the last, I don't know, 12 games of his career versus the first 45 or whatever it was. Um, and they need – Jeremiah Tillman's always the X factor. Like He's got to stay on the floor. He's got to be – he doesn't have to put up huge numbers, but he's just got to be a presence and, and you know, help rebound. And he makes their defense a lot better just by being out there. So he's got to stay on the floor. So you kind of answered what I was, was going to ask next. Like, pick the guy that takes this team to that next level. And I actually – I think it could be Kobe Brown. Um, I think he's the guy that I look to. Like, he was pretty good as a freshman. Hit a little bit of a wall, a little bit of up and down. But I, I think he's a guy that if you want to say, hey, who's a guy that raises his level of play and helps this team get to the next level, I, I think he's a guy maybe we look at um, this year. Uh, moving on through the comments, Ron Davis wants to know, out of the remaining peer opponents, which team is the toughest on the schedule? Weird things happen when Missouri plays South Carolina, but I think Arkansas will be a pretty stout test. So the last four games, and I think I've got the order right here, are South Carolina, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Vandy. Are South Carolina and Mississippi State both road games this year? So, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's a South Carolina, then Arkansas, then Mississippi State, then Vandy. Okay. So yeah. – um, Look, we can take Vandy out of that conversation. They are not the toughest of, of <laughs> yeah, those big, four. Big no there. I, I think, frankly, we can take, especially with no Kylan Hill, I think we'd take Mississippi State out of that discussion. I would put Mississippi State 13th in SEC power rankings, right? Oh, yes, but they're pretty far beneath 12th, too. Yeah, so it really comes down to who do we think is better, South Carolina or Arkansas. Um, South Carolina beat Auburn. Arkansas beat Auburn kind of, but wasn't allowed to beat Auburn. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Ar Arkansas was like, they put up 31 points on A&M. They weren't really ever any threat to win that game, but they didn't get blown out. I don't know what to think. They're clearly much better than they have been, but they're not good. And I don't know where on that spectrum they fall. <laughs> South Carolina is... Also, I don't think they're good, but they're not terrible. I think those are pretty similar teams. Yeah, I think they're pretty similar. Um, I'd probably give the edge to South Carolina. One, it's a road game, and Missouri's looked pretty terrible at both of its road games so far. Two, um, I, I just think I, I like credit to Arkansas for sure. I just think they've been overachieving a little bit. Um, you know, like the, their wins, they have like a total of like 12 turnovers across those two games. Like that's not really sustainable. And their two wins while they, they looked good, at the, especially the Mississippi state one looked good at the time, but it's over the two Mississippi schools who are not exactly juggernauts. So right. neither team is great. I, I would, you know, Missouri may be favored against both. Um, I think probably will be against Arkansas at home. I don't know about South Carolina on the road. It'll be, well, it'll be interesting to see, but um, yeah, I, I don't think like one is like appreciably tougher than the other, but I'd give the edge to South Carolina. I think Missouri will be favored over Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State. I, I think South Carolina will probably be a little bit of a favorite, unless things you know go south there in the next uh, next few weeks. So it, we talked about this a little at the beginning, but uh, David says, should there have been more suspensions and or ejections after the fight, and Mullen should have been fined more? He's obnoxious. So let's take that in reverse order. I, I really didn't know until last week that pretty much everyone in the SEC kind of hates Dan Mullen. Like, talking to guys who have covered this league longer than I have and all that, like, I don't think anybody was that surprised. I, I really didn't know he was that guy. I just thought he was, I don't know, I he was the guy that, he was a pretty good offensive coach, and he looked like Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation, and I didn't know he was super obnoxious, but he seems to be. I didn't either. I, I've been caught off guard by this whole thing. Yeah. First of all, like, I all I know about most SEC coaches is, like, their SEC media days persona. And he's actually one of the best. Like yeah. I like enjoy listening to him talk at media days. He's like pretty engaging and not, you know, just filibustering the whole time. Um, so, but also like, yeah, he's just kind of been harmless the rest of his career. Like he was out there in Starkville doing goofy things. I think he like was eating, he like is a prodigious Buffalo wing eater or something like that. Like that's all that. I, so I was surprised. And, and, I, I don't know. Like I, maybe by the time we got to Saturday, a little less surprised. He had been on a little bit of a roll of, of saying uh, ill-advised things in public. But yes, I was I was a little bit surprised as well. Yeah, I, I had no idea to be quite honest. But now I know. Um, so uh, yeah, go, going back to answering the question, I mean, like first of all, um, I, I don't know. I yes, you can argue maybe he should have been fined more. But like you kind of said earlier, like 
if I'm a Missouri fan and I, I, there was a lot of outrage about this, like, why do you really care? Like how much he gets fined doesn't impact right. your team whatsoever. Um, and, and should there have been more suspensions and ejections? Maybe I, I'm surprised a few more Florida players didn't get dinged for throwing punches. I'm surprised more players didn't get thrown out during the game if yeah. we're being honest. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, Missouri's, Two of Missouri's three half-game suspensions are pretty meaningful, as we touched on earlier. So well, and I think at some point fair. the SEC has to look at, I don't know, man, we can't just we can't suspend everybody on these two teams and just send Georgia to Atlanta on its own. <laughs> I, I yeah, mean, true. you know, because the biggest beneficiary of this, let's be honest, is Georgia. Now, I, I don't know Huge. what yeah. I don't know a ton about the guys that got suspended for Florida because I don't really care about Florida's roster, but uh, <laughs> you know, so I don't know if they're their starters or major impact players or whatever, but. They're not playing, and so clearly they're a worse, a, at least slightly worse team than they would have been at full strength playing Georgia. And then Missouri is also worse than it was going to be playing Georgia. And no, nobody expects Missouri to beat Georgia, but their chances are worse after the suspensions than they were before. So if you start just tossing out like 10 dudes from Florida, you're basically saying, yeah, Georgia just go play in the SEC title game. And I don't know, maybe that's fair, if, if but... Um, I don't know. Uh, it was, I, again, at least that fight gave us something to talk about out, out of that game because the rest of that game was dreadful. It, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like we, we have to, you know, you have to be like, yeah, you hate to see that. It was an ugly thing. And it, it was like, it's not good. And it was a bad look for Missouri at the time because that was just a terrible end to a terrible few minutes stretch. But also I was pretty glad for it because I don't know what else I would have written about after that right, game. Right. A hundred percent. Like it gave us something to talk about. So, all right. So, uh, Jake is back. Wants to know, what do you think about Drinkwitz's Tommy Tuberville comments today? Made me laugh. Yeah. It was just funny. I mean, yeah. you know, it was just funny. Like it, it, it was pretty funny. So for people who don't know, he was asked a, a question in a, his press conference today about Tommy Tuberville, which it's uh it's Tuberville. Yeah. So uh yeah, that's the start. Um I am, I said, am calling him Coach Tubes from now on. Yeah, he said who's Tuberville? The reporter thought he actually didn't know and, and it was a just kind of a whole scene. His answer after that, I don't even remember what he said. Actually, I truly he, don't remember how he answered the question about being a politician. It was he, just funny to hear him ask about Tuberville. He basically said, "No, I don't want to hey, I I have enough problems being a football coach. I don't need to to run for a public office. I actually think he'd be a pretty decent politician. Like, oh, he I, said I don't know as, as, as far as the actual like policy making and stuff. Look, I don't know anything about that, but just as right, far right as like entertaining and doing the press part of the job, I think he'd be a good politician. He's absolutely said he thought about being a politician when he went to, uh, oh, he, he was originally going to, to pre-law at wherever he went to school, Arkansas tech or whatever, with the goal of being a politician. There you so, go. uh, yeah, he would. He would. He definitely has the uh, the personality for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, David again brings up a good point. At least we didn't have to go to Gainesville to cover the game. Worst trip in the SEC. I, like, look, I don't know. I've never been to Starkville, but Gainesville is the worst trip I've made in the SEC. Um, yeah. Back to hoops. Michael Martin wants to know: Do you anticipate Drew Smith, Pinson, and Drew Bugs ever being on the floor at the same time? The three spot has been an issue for us the last few years. I think that's actually going to be a pretty common lineup for Missouri. I think that could be the starting one, two, and three for Missouri, actually. Um, it could be. I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, Conzo Martin said when last we talked to him, they've been on the floor at the same time some, and they will be this season. So, yeah, you'll see it. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sold. I, they might They might all three be announced as the starters. I'm not sold on if they'll – I mean, that's that's a pretty small one, two, and three. I could be wrong, but I think Bugs is like 6'3". Oh, now, okay. you know, okay. teams do play small now. Um, but you're basically, I mean, you're putting three point guards on the floor at the same time that has its perks and it has its drawbacks. I know Conzo Martin loves defense enough that, that if, you know, if he's got a three on the other team, who's six, seven, and who's abusing, you know, Drew Smith or Drew Bugs there, it's not going to last, even if that's, you know, helping on the offensive end. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I would, I would not, uh, you will see it. I don't know if it'll be like a majority of the time lineup. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all caught up. I appreciate with the the different night and all that. You know, I understand it was going to be a, a little bit, uh, maybe not as, quite as well attended as some of our other shows. But appreciate those of you who were here uh, joining in and asking questions and comments and all that. And also, again, I know there's a, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, everybody's been kind of preoccupied the last two or three days. So, so thanks for taking you know 45 minutes to to come hang out with us and talk Mizzou football. So we'll just kind of wrap this up. Uh, maybe um, 
running through the SEC schedule, Missouri doesn't play, obviously, this week. Uh, they're, I don't know, I think four games in the league, four or five games. I can't remember. I'm going to watch our ticker scroll across here, and we're just kind of run through them. Um, but the, the big one is the first one is Georgia and Florida, the cocktail party. I, I don't know, man. What do, what do you think about this one? Um, I'm torn. Um, I, I kind of think Florida's the better team. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to overreact to one week, certainly. Uh, you know, Missouri just didn't play very well this past week. But Florida definitely has the better quarterback, which is really important, as we saw in the Georgia-Alabama game. Um, they've got, you know, playmakers that aren't quite Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. But, I mean, Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts are good enough, I think, to to move the ball and, and you know, have some favorable matchups against anyone. Um, and their defense, if they played the way they did against Missouri, is you know, good enough. I mean, because Georgia's just not going to go out there and sling the ball around and score 30 points. That said, I still need to see, I, I still feel like I said the same thing before the Georgia Alabama game and it sort of came true. Like I, I just need to see Florida actually break through and win it without like, they've. it seems like they've just kind of self-destructed in this game a few times, at least last year. I remember they gave up a bunch of like third and longs. So I, I picked Georgia in our picks that ran this morning. I'll stick with it, but with no conviction. Yeah, I think I picked Florida in our picks and, and I don't know if I believe it, but if Kyle Trask played for Georgia, I would actually maybe pick Georgia to win the national title. I, I think they're yeah. that good at every other spot. But the, it, Stetson Bennett has four picks and no touchdowns in the last six quarters. Um, and, man, Kirby Smart, like, he needs this game because mm -hmm. I, eventually it, it happened to Mark, and it's not going to happen to Kirby yet. But eventually, people get tired of being just consistently on one level. That's why Mark Rick got fired at Georgia. Like, he consistently won 9, 10 games, but people got tired of that. So, at some point, and it won't happen for a few years, but people will get a little tired of, yeah, you go 11-1 and one or 12-1, and one, but you can't win the one, you know. Um, and I, I think what's really hurting Kirby is he, he just digs in every week. Stetson Bennett gives us the best chance to win. I don't know. JT Daniels must be terrible then. I mean, he must be a complete bust. Um, or still hurt, maybe. Right, I don't or know. Or still hurt. But that all, this also comes on the heels of everybody has to think back a year. This comes on the heels of Justin Fields transferring to Ohio State because Kirby wouldn't play him over Jake Fromm. And there's really no question at this point who the better quarterback is, right? Like, maybe Georgia oh, yeah. doesn't go to the national title game two years ago if Fields plays more. But I bet they win one either last year or this year if he's here, if he's there. Yeah, yeah, it's tough because, you know, probably at that time, you know, at the preseason, I guess, what was it, two seasons ago or whatever, when, when Fields left or was upset, like – at, I could see the case at that time from gave them the better chance because he'd been around for, you know, a year. He built chemistry gave with everyone. He'd done right it. He had, but not right. Uh, but exactly. So it's, it's a hard balancing act. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes, that absolutely hurts Kirby's perception among Georgia fans. Uh, you know, I remember I was, I was down there for the Mizzou Georgia game last year. My brother goes to Georgia and I was, you know, hanging out with him and some of his friends. And I mean, like we we're, you know, the Ohio state game would come on into Justin Fields, such I would go out and they would, they were just, you know, I write every time, every time he got mentioned, just, oh, I can't believe we let him go. And, and, you know, Kirby, if they say let him go, I don't think right. he just let him go. Right. I don't, I'm sure Kirby would have liked to leave. Um, but yeah, so, but that absolutely raises the pressure, especially now when you are a quarterback away from, you know, maybe being, you know, the best team in the SEC. So at 2.30 on Saturday, there is one of the best games in of the SEC season opposite one of the worst i mean do you have any words about vanderbilt and mississippi state playing a football game uh, uh no i i don't i i will not watch i hope no one should watch that's all those are my words no one should watch yeah i hope georgia and florida is close because i'm not flipping over to vandy mississippi state uh a&m south carolina um this is the traditional crossover rivalry i we could probably spend an entire 42 seconds running through the great moments in Texas A&M South Carolina <laughs> history. Uh, I don't know. I mean, A&M's playing pretty well. They're clearly better. Uh, they're oddly 
probably the SEC team with the best chance to make the playoff other than Alabama, which is kind of stupid, but true. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I mean, they're, I just, I refuse to believe A&M is really all that good. I don't think they're top 10 good, I don't know. Um, but they're good enough to beat South Carolina, I think. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if they win. maybe, yeah, the, we've seen it before. The West team with one loss gets, uh, gets a spot in the playoff if Alabama goes undefeated. So maybe, especially this year, but man, that would be a little bit disappointing. Yeah. So the last one is actually, I, I'm interested in watching this game, Tennessee, Arkansas. I, I'm intrigued with this one. Um, you know, I think that, uh, like Tennessee, boy, they gotta win. They can't lose this game. Like I honestly think if they lose this game, we start talking about if Jeremy Pruitt gets to come back next year. Yeah, especially I mean with their fan base, uh, they they they, they might have already had quite rash conversations after they just extended him. Um, but yeah, I mean yeah, they gotta win this one. They uh, they you know they built up that win streak on beating the teams they should. Then they you know they ran into a, a more talented team in Georgia, and then they let it kind of spiral into the next week. And they looked like you know they had quarterback issues against uh, against Kentucky. And that was really the big one was the Kentucky loss, the Alabama one again, not a, a huge deal. But you can't lose four games in a row, and and you know. Yeah, and and especially have them look as bad as the last couple have. And I think this game and the Missouri game are really Arkansas's chance to prove, like, hey, we're not just better than we have been. We're actually, like, on the road to being decent. Uh, Because those those are two games, if you can get one or two of those, three and seven, four and six, like, obviously much better than Owen, whatever you were, you know, uh, Owen three years. Uh, But the rest of the schedule has – they haven't played Alabama yet, I don't think. Um, you know, they've they've got basically a lot of wet. They haven't played LSU yet, and LSU's not great, but still, um, that's tough. So they've got – and they still have to play Florida this year, I think. Um, yeah, so, I think you're right. You know, I, I think even though they're better than they have been, there aren't a lot of chances for wins left for Arkansas. And this is one where I think this is kind of the difference between – yeah, it's a nice little story that fizzled out. And, hey, maybe Sam Pittman actually is is really taking steps much faster than we thought. Yeah, for sure. Now, that fan base should and will feel good about what Sam Pittman and his staff has accomplished this year, no matter if they oh, lose out. I mean, right. they should. I fully expected them to lose all 10 games this season. And I didn't think um, any would be close. No, I didn't either. I mean, their schedule was impossible. You know, they already played and beat probably the two worst teams on it. But yeah, you're 100% right. Yeah, this game, uh, the Tennessee game, especially with how Tennessee's been playing and, and Missouri are their two chances to uh, to get a third win and yeah, show show that it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, not just kind of a little fluke. Yeah, so uh, that's where we're at in the SEC. Um, Missouri off uh, this week. Georgia, 11 a.m. kickoff, right? That is correct on, yeah, November 14th, 11 a.m. at Furrow Field. I'll be there. All right. So I'll be there. Uh, Mitch will be there. I'll be here. Um, we will be here. We're going back to Wednesday nights next week for this show. Um, I promise to have all the technology working. We know what we're doing now. We tried to do something new. It didn't work. Uh, I broke everything. So forget <laughs> forget anything new. We promise not to try that anymore. Uh, before you guys leave, hit the like button. Make sure you're subscribed. Share the show. Share the channel. All that uh, get the word out and uh, check out 573tees.com. Go buy yourself a new shirt. Um, we will let you guys get back to watching, uh, you know, true crime documentaries or whatever you might have been watching for the last 72 hours before spending some time with us. So uh, thanks, and uh, we'll see you next week.